Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright. And I'm your other sometimes host, Matt Scalina. Back from Manitoba. How were the mosquitoes? The, you know what? Mosquitoes weren't bad on, I think, because of this kind of historic drought. And hopefully the last time we see a historic <laughs> drought like this for a while. But the historic drought across Western Canada, it was it was very dry. Very dry in Manitoba. Dealt with a little bit of smoke. Yeah. Almost no mosquitoes. I think they need they need standing water, Corey, is what I've been told. Well, if, if I never wanted to go to Manitoba as bad as I do now, I was actually really convinced after you told me where you were staying had no running water. That's so. right. That's right. I, I, you know what? I was in Riding Mountain National Park, which is is basically the poor man's Banff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we have a family cabin, not a cottage. And the distinction up there is a cottage has running water, but we have been in the family for a very long time. This gets better and it's better. A great, it's a great place. It's a great place to go. The nice thing is, is if you do want to break, I mean, it's cell coverage is not great. You know, you can't wash dishes, let alone do work. So I'm feeling relaxed. I'm feeling good to go. Yeah. Hopefully things, I listen to the episodes. It sounds like everything, it turns out if I leave, things get better. Yeah. Numbers are up. You know, your <laughs> fan mail's positive this for two weeks in a row. Like it's great. <laughs> right on. So who do we have on the show today, Corey? We got Fabric Living CEO, Jordan McDonald, and we're very excited to have him because a lot of people don't understand maybe what actually goes on when you, you know, find a piece of land and you got to take that piece of land from start to finish you know, you build a, a condo tower on it or, or something to that effect, how many years and costs and risks and challenges that come with that. So Jordan peels back the sheets. He tells us exactly what that goes through. He talks about good things and bad things, and we could like really get to pick his brain on what's forthcoming and sort of really shed a lot of light to the developers. I think they either have one of two jobs, either everyone who loves commercial real estate envies them and wants to be a developer, they want to put their stamp on the city, or if you're not a commercial real estate lover, everybody hates them. Because they get finger pointed for the you know problem with affordable living. They're kind of like realtors, I think. Although <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody envies a realtor, but uh, definitely get blamed for a lot of a lot of all the ills in the city. Yeah, there was a couple of really exciting things about having Jordan on. Apart from yeah, major get for the for the show, I would say yeah, just peeling back those layers, talking about just the nuts and bolts of how to develop a piece of land from kind of the soup to nuts, as we say, Yeah. but also opportunities, yeah. areas he likes. And he's really focused on East Van. Why yeah. he's focused on East Van is kind of exciting. And, and the passion Jordan brings to the world of development. I, I feel like I've spoken to a lot of developers over the years, and I would say Jordan is one of the most passionate guys I know. It's a, it's really exciting to listen to him talk about the development game. Well, we we're fortunate to have him here in studio with us. I think he's the first guest we've had in the flesh since we started this podcast. Right. And when you look at him talk and he's got the hands going like this, he's a very passionate man for what he does. And I think the results show. Yeah. I mean, they've had huge success in their past couple projects, beautiful looking projects, like almost 
you know, perfectly cut for the areas they're into, oh. you can see why they're so successful. Yeah, yeah. And we spoke about assembly on on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, which is a project they launched and sold out in, in Strathcona. It's unbelievable. Yeah. The way that that project is going to, to have a positive impact, uh, not only for the people who bought into it, but the commercial space, the laneway. Yeah. It's just such an exciting, more than most projects, I feel like that's a project where you can look at it and go, man, he's going to drive by there and be, and feel pride for the rest How of his life. Not? No kidding. No kidding. So it's really exciting to have Jordan, uh, Jordan McDonald on the show today. Before we hit the record button, you sort of shared an interesting story with me about some challenges right now, not in the sales side of things, but the rental side of things in the well, downtown Vancouver market. Well, no, you know what? This is East Vancouver. I just had a tenant leave in East Vancouver and they were there in the space for a year. And I was just kind of thinking about the difference between August 2020 and August 2021. Yeah. I mean, first off, so I rented this space in August 2020. It was decently busy. I was kind of pleasantly surprised because I was kind of mid COVID yeah. and it rented very quick and the and the rent seemed okay. At that time, I, I didn't want to raise the rent from what it was at. I just wanted to yeah. find a good tenant. And which, we should clarify, this is your, your rental property. This is, yeah. yeah. But I don't know if this is kind of, I've said to you, sort of canary in the coal mine or a one-off. I rented it this past week and it is so much busier in the rental market in East Vancouver, at least, than it was a year ago. I was getting, in no word of a lie, probably 25 plus calls and emails a day. Wow. And I rented it, you know, four days in with probably seven or eight applications and the rent was higher than 2020. So I don't know if this speaks to anything. My sense is students are coming back. We're kind of getting to that kind of post COVID stage where, yeah, it just, it made me think that we're in for a busy fall and that's only one indicator, but it felt dramatically different from a year ago. So take, take what you, what you will from that. I don't know. What are you seeing in the commercial side of things? Well, I think you're going to find, so obviously the multifamily asset class falls under the commercial umbrella and it was record setting sales for that asset class over the past quarter in the past couple quarters. And I think one of the challenges is, I mean, we never have enough supply in the rental stock, whether, you know, the multifamily side of things. And people forget there's, you know, tens of thousands of people migrating and immigrating to greater Vancouver every single year. And we're not delivering rental doors nearly as fast as we can. And, I mean, the the supply and demand issue is going to kick in. The cap on the uh, Residential Tenancy Act with regards to, to how much you can raise every year, I mean, that I think has a negative effect on it, believe it or not, because what happens is pent-up demand. It just becomes too large. And once that tenant moves out, it's free market. So, you I mean, you know, it's going to compile. I think we're going to have challenges ahead of us. I think the multifamily type landlord is going to be do very, very well over the next couple of years. Because until we figure out this rental situation that we have in the province and mainly in greater Vancouver is these landlords are going to continue to set the pace of what it is and demand's too high that people are going to pay it. Well, if, if I'm any indication, I, I could, no, I actually thought to myself, I could probably take this down and bump it up a hundred, 200. I, I think I could have probably still got somebody because, yeah, totally. you know, usually, usually when you're getting, you know, you do one set of showings and you get five plus applications after an hour or two, uh, it's a pretty good indication that, um, I mean, it's in a, it's a fine space. 
It's nothing special, believe me. Fine is an understatement. It is the Taj Mahal of basement <laughs> suites in East Vancouver, if you yeah, ask me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, it was uh, is very busy. Uh, it felt like a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, and I think we're coming back. So optimism abounds here at the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Yeah, we see it. We feel it. Like it's going to be a busy latter part of 2021, I think. I think it's going to spill over into 2022. And then who knows where the interest rates go? You mean if those can still hover at record low levels throughout 2022 as obviously inflation has to work itself through the market. I mean, that could bleed right in 2023 for all we know. So, Well, on that note, Corey. We've got a sponsor. <laughs> we do. We've got a sponsor. We're always pleased to be sponsored by the Impact Commercial Group for all your commercial lending needs. With over 50 years of lending experience, please visit Al and the guys over at impactcommercial.ca. The best in the business, that's for sure. Well, maybe we should cut to the our talk with CEO of Fabric Living, Jordan McDonald. Enjoy, guys. All right, we're here with CEO of Fabric Living, Jordan McDonald. Real coup for the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, I'd say. Uh, yeah, this is putting us on the map today. <laughs> hey, how you doing, Jordan? Very good. Thank you very much for having me. Adam and I have been trying to get you on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast for going on three years. Don't return our calls. Corey starts a podcast <laughs> within, well, I, within I, weeks. Well, I called Jordan and I told him that you guys make fun of him and you're not very nice guys. <laughs> Convinced him this is the way to go. And here he is in the flesh today. There was a text message group conversation going around when we got you to sort of commit. And Adam almost had like an emoji with a mouth drop. Like, you got him? He returned your call? I'm like, yeah. When I call, they answer. <laughs> that is right. Yeah. Well, so no pressure, Jordan. <laughs> but uh, How egotistical is that? Eh? Like, could I call, they answer? I probably had to text him 40 times. He's probably like, who is this? <laughs> can, you, can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, definitely. So like you said, I'm CEO of Fabric Living. We're a multifamily developer that focuses uh, primarily on neighborhoods in East Vancouver. And we develop purpose-built rental projects and also condo projects. And most projects have a mixed-use component to it with some, some ground floor commercial area. Awesome. Uh, there's a couple questions there. Why East Van? I think that I really like East Vancouver because it, it allows us to build really creative projects. Because the people that are in East Vancouver, they're just a really creative crowd. And I think that um, the projects that we like to build are projects that we're passionate about, that we're excited to get up in the morning and and focus on working through the minutia of these projects on on a daily basis and knowing that when we're putting our efforts into designing these projects that the people that are buying in there are really going to appreciate them that's actually that's super interesting because some of the projects you have that I think people will know assembly in Strathcona huge success yeah habitat over on Broadway but like assembly was such a unique project, I feel like it would be, it seems like that couldn't be done. I don't know. It feels so East Van to me that I just feel like that project is almost couldn't be done anywhere else in the lower mainland. Yeah. Well, I think first off, Strathcona is just such a creative community. And I, I, I think that there's a reason why so many artists gravitate to Strathcona. If you look at 1000 Parker, I mean, that, that building has so many artists right. in it. If you look at Strathcona uh, as a community as a whole, the number of artists that 
either reside there or have little galleries there or studios there is is really second to none in Vancouver. So so first off, you just have so much creative energy in Strathcona that if you were to deliver vanilla project in that neighborhood, I don't think that you would have have any success because it wouldn't be it wouldn't align with the community. So with Strathcona, when that property got listed, we jumped on it. And not only did we jump on it, but we we overpaid for it because we wanted to be in that community so bad. And it wow. was just so challenging to find a property that had scale in Strathcona where we could do something super unique. And the cool thing about that project and the thing that I loved is that I was so passionate about that project, waking up every morning, knowing that we were just going to be doing all this really creative stuff. And we had strong conviction that the community would really cherish that and really buy into it. So, you know, we're doing this really cool artwork on the ceilings that basically travel throughout the ground floor of the project. We have a muse that travels east-west through the project, so we're bringing the public through the building. Right. So it's just, there's so many elements of that project that just, that we just loved so much that we just were able to lean into because of where it was. Well, I think the success was there because the project had tremendous sales in a very short period of time. And this is one reason why I was so excited to have Jordan on the show today because a lot of our listeners, I don't think, understand or really know what goes into from a development standpoint or from a you know a developer's position of what it is. And like talking about that property, when it came on the market, it was something you guys just had to have. When property ends up on your desk, what is the first steps? Or maybe take us through a couple steps that you take to analyze the property. Is it more kind of, we know the neighborhood, we know that works, we have to have it? Or is it kind of a much more you know, methodical path where it's kind of sit down, crunch numbers, work backwards, and sort of go from there? Can you maybe sort of just tell us what happens when that that property shows up on your desk? Yeah, and and just to build off that because we've talked to a lot of the people that build property, build condos, build townhome projects here in Vancouver. And that kind of creative aspect doesn't actually come out all that often. That kind of description of how you got excited about uh, the Strathcona project assembly, it was fairly unique. So how do you analyze a project, but how do you marry those two kind of the practical kind of number crunching elements with that kind of, I'm going to be excited about this project when I get up in the morning. For sure. So I, I think that there's there's kind of a, a couple of questions there, and I'll try to try to unpack it as best I can. So so first off, development is is a really challenging business because every municipality and then every neighborhood plan or neighborhood within that municipality has its own idiosyncrasies and, and layers to it. So we focus specifically on East Vancouver. Yeah. Because we need to really understand all of the policies and legislation extremely well so that when we do have a site come to us, we know what it is that we're looking at. Yeah, good point. Further to that point, we, when it comes to going, okay, we're, we're, we're going to focus on doing a really creative project. Well, we, we've only focused on specific neighborhoods within East Vancouver. There's going to be parts of East Vancouver where we may look at a deal and we might say, yeah, we know the policy. We know what we're looking at buying here, but we just don't think that it relates to fabric. And we don't think that it is a neighborhood that has like that really strong social fabric. And, and, it, and it's a great community where we can really lean into the creative aspects of the project and that people are really going to appreciate that. So we only focus on neighborhoods that are super creative and super <coughs> unique, mm-hmm. like Strathcona, like Mount Pleasant. So when we see an opportunity come across our desk, we typically have a pretty good understanding of all of this policy 
But that's deep knowledge that takes years to basically amalgamate all of this information in your head and in your systems yeah. and stuff. Makes a lot of sense. So to further unpack that point, though, once, once that property is in front of us, at least we know what we're looking at. You know, how high can we build there? What density can we build? What do the setbacks look like? Is there a social housing component to it? Do we require family housing in this project? Does there need to be ground floor commercial? So we know all of that stuff typically right off the top of our head when we see a new opportunity. Right. Yeah. But then we need to basically pull out the pro forma and we need to basically start working backwards. We need to go, okay, well, what does residential real estate in this neighborhood sell for? Is it townhouse? Is it condo? What does that sell for? And then we basically say, okay, this number per square foot, and then we need to build a pro forma, basically working backwards to try to figure out what we can actually pay for that land. Yeah. And that's a very, very in-depth process to do it right, because it's pretty easy to figure out what condos are selling for in a neighborhood or what apartments are renting for in a neighborhood, but you need to understand what all of your costs are because you need to make at least a 15% return on your project to have a project that a bank is actually going to finance and get behind. Yeah. And banks, they, you know, without the bank, you're you're not developing projects at this scale unless you have extremely deep pockets. This is exactly why I'm not a developer. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, maybe just taking a step back because one of the things I think anyone listening who hasn't thought all that much about developing a, a project like this is how many hats you're wearing from the creative side, from the sourcing materials, risk mitigation, market analysis, all of this, getting partners for financing, all these things. Like, do you have a mentor? Like, how do you get into a place where you feel comfortable wearing all those hats? I guess I've always been the type of person that just sort of jumps in the deep end and then starts to figure it out. And I start by wearing all of the hats and trying to learn how to wear all of the hats. And then as time goes on, I try to start giving some of those hats to other people and <laughs> bringing on new partners in the company or in the projects and slowly building the team so that I can really define my role to what I'm good at and what I love doing. Whereas, you know, when you start out, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're good at some things and you love doing them. You're good at some things, but you, you don't like doing them. And you're, you're bad at some things, but you love doing it. And, and then you're, you know, you're bad at some things and then you, and you hate doing them too, right? Yeah. So, it's, you, you know, you kind of have to start out in a place where you're just juggling. And then as you grow and learn, you start to build the team out. So kind of to, as a step back to that, I started in commercial real estate brokerage as a commercial broker at, at Cushman and Wakefield. From there, I was doing industrial real estate brokerage, and then I kind of bought my first building, and then I started selling investment properties, et cetera. So I just kind of always jump into things and then start to figure it out. From there, I started a commercial real estate brokerage company out in the Fraser Valley. Again, sort of wearing a ton of hats. I had a partner in that company, and we, we, we grew it to a, a decent scale. And then I sold that in 2015 and then started doing my own projects where I would buy an apartment building and fix it up. We'd buy a piece of land and get some entitlements for it and resell it. And then started getting into more ground up development kind of in 2016, 2015. And again, it's just jumping into the deep end, aligning yourself with the right partners so that you have people to, to learn from. And then from there, it's just <laughs> figuring it out and growing and, and hopefully finding yourself in a seat where you're the majority of your time is spent on the things that you're good at and you love. So let's let's go down this road here. So William Wright Commercial has just brought you the perfect piece of real estate. 
you're going forward with it. What type of timelines does it take from the time? I mean, you say, hey, we're going to, this is what we're going to do. We're going to purchase this property and go with it to potentially, I mean, delivering it. And I realize there's, you know, there's various challenges along the way. But when you guys look at it, how do you perform out two years, three years, four years? And what crystal ball do you have to almost feel like you have to say, hey, what is this going to sell for? And what type of challenges, maybe like lumber costs or construction costs and, and you, know, you know, city delays potentially. How do you monetize that when you're looking from a performance standpoint? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of it is, is crystal ball stuff because you're, you're looking at buying a site today that you yeah. might be selling two years from now. And you're, when you've kind of put together a four-year timeline, that can turn into five or six years. That, that happens all the time, right. unfortunately. So I guess when we, when we first take a look at the piece of land that William Wright has brought to us, yeah. like I said, hopefully we have a decent understanding of the policy. We still need to do some background research on it, regardless of the amount of data that we have in our head. Yeah. We have to run our pro formas. We have to go through the costs to make sure that we think that they're all appropriate. We try to compare them to some of the past projects that we've worked on. It's harder to do when you're starting out because you yeah. don't have past yeah. projects that you've worked on. Yeah. So you, I guess you try to use past projects as sort of a comparable to what your costs are going to look like. You take existing revenues of current projects that are in the market, and then you you basically capitalize the project accordingly. So depending on who you are, some developers are much larger, more established uh, multi-generational companies, and they they use all of their own capital. Some of the smaller guys like us, we work with capital partners, so we yeah. need to make sure that even if the deal looks like it makes sense, is it is it the type of deal that we think that a capital partner would come to the table for? Yeah, and then we need to basically find lenders that are going to like the deal as well and believe yeah. in it like we do, and believe in the neighborhood like we do. And not every lender believed in Strathcona like we did at the time. Wow. And then from there, you basically have to start working through the process, and things change. Lumber prices go up, construction prices go up, COVID happens. There's a multitude of things that happen. The worst things that can really happen is timelines extending out. And so that's something that we have to deal with on a regular basis. And so there's a lot of pivoting that needs to happen throughout the process. Is there one item along the way that's usually the most concerning? Like obviously COVID, I think, caught everyone by surprise. And we'll get into maybe how that affected it, good or bad. Is there any one item that continuously kind of rears its head every time that you're kind of like, okay, we've got to be careful of that? I'm, I'm understanding right now, lumber prices obviously took a massive spike. And I think all developers or anyone building was kind of, you know, ripping their hair out thinking, how do we deal with this? Besides that, is there something consistently that, that rears its head every time you do a development that, you know, the more development you do, the better you get, the more you kind of, you know, navigate through? I mean, there's definitely a couple, but if I was to pick one, it's, uh, I would say it, it's timelines. Yeah, And you need to be hypercognizant of timelines. And these projects take so long that if you, you know, push a meeting by a week here or there over a four-year period, that can, all of those little meetings that get, they get pushed by a week or two, they add up to a significant amount of time. Yeah, um, I bet. So any timeline creep is, is always top of mind. And you always feel that immense pressure on your shoulders when you're looking at your pro forma and your original project schedule and and how you're relating to that. So there isn't a morning that you're not that you're not waking up in the morning thinking about that. And even though it's a long project, you feel like your feet are kind of put to the fire on on a daily basis to stay on schedule with with multiple projects. I guess one of the questions I'd love to hear is is how how COVID impacted the projects that you you had, you know, at least underway, but also just how that how you dealt with it. You know, I'm thinking you wake up every morning looking at timelines and COVID hits. 
A lot of sleepless nights. Yes, I would say out of the gates, I, I think that those first four months of COVID were, were were really scary, frankly. I mean, we were watching the stock market tumble and the whole world was really just turned on its head. And it wasn't just in the financial markets out of the gates. I mean, it was just people were changing their behaviors completely. Right. And so we had no idea what that was going to mean for us. We knew that we couldn't launch a project during COVID, so we had to delay the launch of, of our Habitat project as a result of that because it was just a complete unknown what was going to happen. So, I mean, you know, you just can't plan for that stuff. Right, I think right. that it ended up working out in favor of real estate because people yeah. started saving money and they had more household savings and interest rates went down and they had more buying power. So yeah. it ended up working out really well. But could I have predicted that the first couple of months of COVID? Hell no. It was frightening. One of the things I don't know if I've thought all that much about, but we talked a lot about during COVID was, you know, the new normal, what that looks like, how people's living situations are changing, work from home, everything else. I never really thought myself too much about what that meant for a project like Habitat, where, you know, you got a lot of smaller units that presumably were all, the plans were already in place, right? And I don't know if you had kind of any uh, I think it was probably a lot of knee jerk, you know, the world's totally transforming. It's never going back to the way it was, but in terms of risk for a project that was kind of already, the plans were already in place. Like, did you have thoughts that, Hey, maybe we got to back, back up and, and change course, or was it just stay the course, relax, everything is likely going to kind of play out and, and be fine. Yeah, there was a hundred conversations that were had about pivoting and, you know, maybe we should do rental or maybe we should do that or maybe we should change our unit plans. At the end of the day, we just made the decision to stay the course. What's funny is that COVID really changed the type of demand that was in the market. So when we led our sales program with Habitat and when we were designing the project, we designed a lot of our units to be really efficient and cost effective. So we led with messaging that was all based on X amount of our units being below uh, a certain price right, point. Right, yeah. And then it was all of our larger, more expensive units that basically sold right away. And we got caught completely off guard by that. And we'd completely misread the market. We had we had no idea that it was... And, and frankly, the units that sold first were the units that we thought that we were going to be hanging on to well after the project was completed, trying to sell them because they were higher price point units. But it was just... Uh, it was a total 180 from what we expected. It's funny you say that. Talking to other developers, they experienced the same thing where they had some of their larger units that we typically would sell after the smaller ones were. They were selling those units first and having the smaller ones. And you may, at the time, probably when everyone's kind of going through this from a development side, you probably couldn't sort of point out one thing. But now you look back on it, you're like, well, obviously everyone wants more space. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So a lot of developers that we talked to ran into very similar things where they were selling the bigger units, even penthouses in some case, out of the gate in markets traditionally where towers would sell from sort of the bottom up. They were almost selling towers from the top down, they said. Yep, we experienced the exact same thing. So let's talk about success. You know, Obviously, success, Assembly was a huge success. Habitat is now 100% sold, I understand, on the residential side. What do you contribute that to? Because you guys aren't the only guys out there. In yeah. fact, there's some people right yeah. across the street yeah. <laughs> that 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 haven't had the same success you guys have. Is there anything from a design element? Is it, you mean, does the passion come through the showroom that people say, hey, these guys are building something really good? Like, is there anything you can pinpoint that why you guys have had the huge success you have in a short period of time with your last two projects that maybe other developers haven't experienced that same success in that same time frame? 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of a tough question to answer, really. Um, I can tell you that from a design perspective on our projects, it, it is something that we, we, spend, we spend a ton of time on. We really want our projects to be to really be cool projects and, and yeah. not just the, the facade materials that we use, but also, for example, Habitat and Assembly <laughs> both have ground floor commercial components. Yeah. And I just love going to other countries around the world where there's more of a, like organic growth. And you mm-hmm. go into like in parts of Asia and there's these little cool laneways that have these like awesome little restaurants or bars. And, and so we want to bring that to Vancouver. So both Habitat and Assembly have this retail that like wraps around into the lane. And so we're, we're trying to bring like these activated laneways as an amenity, not, not only to the community, but to the project itself. So that's just one little touch point that even today, on a daily basis, we're dealing with all the little nuances of venting and gas lines and grease traps, and it, and it's just it's a daily thing that comes up over and over. When it comes to the facade materials, we we spend a ton of time on the facade materials. I think for assembly, we've probably looked at like over a hundred different types of brick. Wow! Um, so we're and and not just looking at it online. I mean, ordering it in, yeah. feeling it, touching it, looking at it, at it in in the sunlight and in, in like in the shade. So we're really focused on the materials that we're using as well. Um, and so I think that we do really lean into the design. I'll say with Habitat, we I think we're the first project to launch in the Vancouver market. I think that we, we kind of got lucky with that. Frankly, we launched and there was nothing else in the market. We we're the only game in town. We we're in Mount Pleasant, 400 meters from a SkyTrain station. And it just worked. So I think that we absorbed a lot of demand that was in the market and they, there was nowhere else for, for them to go. And then I think that, you know, I think that we're, the locations that we choose are, are great locations. Yeah. Um, I've always said that, you know, 75% of the value of your home is based on the square footage that's within a thousand meters of your front door. Yeah. So you got to, you got to, the neighborhood is first. I mean, you could put one of these projects in Sycamus, and it's going to sell for you know twenty five percent of what it's going to sell for in in Mount Pleasant or or less than that. So it's the neighborhood first. You really got to buy the right neighborhood and the right location in that neighborhood, and then all of these other things that you have to really work at and focus on and and try to do things like really cool. Picture yourself being in the ground floor commercial space. What is that experience going to be like? Same with the residential. How is it going to be livable? Like, what's the width? What does the kitchen look like? How does it actually work for me. And we picture ourselves and our families living in these projects. And hopefully that sort of dovetails into some of the success that we've had. And for that one listener we have in Sycamus, we're a big fan of Sycamus. We, we do, just, we do have for the one record. listener. Uh, <laughs> my mom actually lives in Sycamus. <laughs> <laughs> She's probably sitting in her house going, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> Jordan McDonald doesn't like us up here. I love Sycamus. You kind of touched on it a little bit there. Is there any cities, whether it be locally or internationally, that you guys draw inspiration from when you're doing this stuff? Like, I know you, you touched a little bit about the laneway and the re- retail, but is there anywhere in specific that you guys like either go to or have been to that you're like, we want to draw inspiration from here for our next project? Certainly New York. I mean, New York is a, it's a, it's an old city. It's It's got a ton of energy. Brooklyn is, you know, Brooklyn's changed a lot over the past 10 years, but spent a couple of weeks in Brooklyn, kind of in the Fort Greene area about, about 10, 12 years ago. And so I, I drew a lot of inspiration from that. You had all these kind of cool little hideaway places right. and bars and restaurants that didn't even have signs. And, and it was just so 
so cool if you only you know you only knew about the place if you knew about it right um and and if it if it had a big sign on the street then you didn't want to go there kind of thing right so love new york love brooklyn southeast asia for sure um is just like the the growth in in bangkok and whatnot is just so organic so i think that i draw some some inspiration from bangkok for sure um then there's there's like i haven't been to melbourne but i i look at lots of inspiration images from melbourne and they have this really great laneway culture. And then if you look at cities like Brisbane and and Melbourne and Sydney in Australia, they just have really cool design and architecture. So I think that although I haven't been there, we 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 certainly draw some some inspiration from there. This is my my lack of world travels now that we're on this here. Like my travel schedule is like Alder Grove to Burnaby. That's kind of my my holidays. <laughs> That's where you get your but inspiration. It's, 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 yeah. <laughs> but one of the things, one of my fondest memories was being in San Francisco. Uh, this is you know 15 years ago. And we were at a restaurant in a laneway. And just the culture and the activity and the vibe that it had to see that kind of come up here a little bit, I'm excited for. Because I, I remember that vividly from probably 15 years ago of being one of the coolest travel moments and being in all of San Francisco, I draw memories of that one time in that alleyway, which I'd never been before, which was just awesome. I'm just thinking about the way the way you're kind of talking about East Van and kind of the the passion that's kind of evident in the projects you're doing. I'm just wondering about scaling because you're clearly hands-on in a way that I think a larger a larger player just isn't able to be, right? Um, do you foresee your company moving outside of basically specific areas of East Van? And I guess, do you worry about kind of losing uh, as you grow some of that kind of the the passion that you can bring to each one of these projects? Yeah, it's a good question and something that um, I try to remain cognizant of in that there there isn't dilution as as you grow on, call it the cool factor of the, of the projects. Um that being said, when you're growing a team, you have the opportunity to still focus your attention where you're passionate. So for me, I love acquisitions. I love the hunt of the deal and finding finding new properties. As the so, I think that I'll always be taking the lead or an act very active role in that and making sure that our acquisitions are always in in the very best neighborhoods and the in in great locations. So I don't think that'll ever change. I think I'll be doing that until I'm 95. In regards to marketing and design, I think that that's, those are areas of the business that I also want to have an active role in. And maybe over time, I'll be less so on the tools, but certainly something that gets me up in the morning and, and the meetings that I plan to be in at my, my company longer term, 40, 50 years from now, will still be those same meetings that are mm-hmm. focused on, on marketing and design and how it relates to the community and how it relates to the context of the neighborhood. So I would say between the acquisitions and, and design and marketing, I, I plan to always have a very active role there and then growing a team out around me for where I'm weak, which is kind of in most facets of the business. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I should say that I, I have I do have two partners in the company. I have um, a director of development, Keegan Scharenberg. So he's he's excellent on kind of the city approval process, the like the de- nitty gritty development management, the really granular stuff. He also is really good at um, at acquisitions as well. So we kind of work as a bit of a team there. And then Alex Beer is our director of finance. So when it comes to running like really dialed pro formas and overseeing all of the costs, et cetera. So 
we have we have that kind of firepower. So a lot of the support um, systems that come into play, I don't necessarily need to wear all the hats and be really good at everything. I can say, hey, I'm good at acquisitions. I'm good at marketing. I'm good at sales. But and that's where I should be focusing my attention. And then letting the guys that are really good at the other things focus on those other things and take the lead on them. So you mentioned, you know, finding the deal, being on the hunt, acquisitions as being something you're really strong at. Can we talk about where you think the opportunities lie, but but a bit about your process? Because, you know, obviously East Van is a, it's a pretty tough market to find a deal in. There's always a lack of good inventory, right? So can we talk about how you're monitoring the market, what a deal looks like, and and how you win? For sure. I'm terrible at fishing, but I was just <laughs> fishing the week before last. And as I was fishing, I don't fish a lot, but I was like, wow, this is, this is like a lot like acquisitions. You're, <laughs> you know, you're just fishing out there. So so there's about 600 active commercial real estate brokers in in Vancouver. Of those 600, I would say maybe maybe 20% of them do a fair amount of business. I would hope to think that all 600 of those brokers know who I am. And I try to make a point of connecting with those 600 brokers at least once a year by basically calling through everybody. And then the top 20% of those guys, I'm, I'm trying to stay in communication with with actively on kind of like a, a monthly basis. So whether we're going out for, we're going out to a, a brewery for a beer or we're grabbing a lunch or a coffee or it's a phone call, I'm trying to stay top of mind with them at all times. On top of that, I'm on everybody's email list. So all of the new properties that get listed basically end up in my inbox. So a lot of what I'm doing is sifting through things. So somebody calls me, hey, Jordan, I've got this. Maybe it's not listed, but this, you know, John Doe wants to sell this property and he doesn't want to list it. What do you think about it? So I have to have that information top of mind about what that property is, what you can build there so that I can give the broker a quick yes or no. The last thing a broker wants to know if he brings you a property is, oh yeah, give me a week. I'll think about it. You don't get back to him. And then they're going, hey, you know, I'm not going to bring in this guy a deal anymore. So I try to give a quick yes or no on a deal. So the brokerage community is absolutely huge for us. We also do some direct hunting. So we'll say, hey, here's a site that we love. It hasn't been brought to us by any brokers. We'll just call that, we'll call that owner directly. Or we might say, hey, Corey's really active in this neighborhood. Corey did a deal up the street. I'll call Corey and say, hey, what do you think about this property? Do you want to call the owner for me? Or a lot of times Corey's already talked to that owner and he'll say, okay, well, the guy's, you know, he's got kind of a five-year plan. Maybe he wants to do something in the future. So often we'll, we'll, we'll reach out to owners directly. Other times we'll call a broker and say, hey, do you want to reach out to this owner on our behalf? But the brokerage community is, and when I say brokerage, those are essentially commercial realtors. They're kind of like the lifeblood of our business. It's such an important relationship. I look at commercial brokers like they are, they're my clients. And I think that commercial brokers look at me like I'm their client. So it's, yeah. it's a really symbiotic relationship. So when Corey calls me, I'm not like, oh, another realtor is kind of call, trying to call me. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm going, I'm happy. Like, yeah. that's a good thing. The, like when, And then I tell him he has to come on a podcast and he hangs up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, maybe that's why I'm on Corey's podcast. <laughs> you guys yeah, never yeah, call me with opportunities. Well, just, just for the record, too, Jordan says he calls the top 20% of the industry once a month to touch base. I don't get that phone call. <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> say, get the once every year. <laughs> Hey, we had lunch about a year ago, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's really, it's really, you would say finding deals is about really maintaining relationships. Yeah. 
Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. You you have to have good relationships with the brokers. You have to have a good re- reputation that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And then you got to be top of mind as well because you can have a really good relationship with somebody and a really good reputation and somebody else just calls that broker before they call you and and the deal's going to them. So right. so it's about having great relationships. It's about having a good reputation and it's about having enough touch points with the brokers that you're going to remain top of mind. Right. Yeah, Jordan's bang on. That's exactly how, you know, the industry works. And like, you I mean, where we have a property or a client that we're trying to get their property out there. I mean, you have a lot of respect for guys like Jordan that they look at it and they'll give you an honest answer and say, hey, you know what? Love it. Or you know what? That's not for us. Move on. Because you do run into those guys that will take it and they'll wait on it forever. And then, you know, someone else buys it and they come back and they think it's your fault that someone else got it. Especially in Vancouver, it's a very, very active market with very limited supply available to it. And when you take it to people, you have a lot of respect for them if they say yes or no and, you know, give you the the honest feedback to allow you to move on in case it doesn't. But it's all relationships, 100% yeah. relationships. Another thing that that is important is, for us at least, is being really focused so because we focus in East Vancouver and all of our projects are there, and that's where we're, we're primarily pursuing opportunities. And I think when brokers think of fabric or they think of Jordan, they think of East Van. Yeah. And so when an East Van deal comes up, they go, who should I call? I've got, you know, it's an off-market deal. It's not listed. The owner said I can talk to one person or maybe two people. He doesn't want it out there. Brokers are going, I got a rifle shot at this thing. Like I got, I got one shot, maybe two. Who am I taking it to? And I'm hoping that I'm top of mind for East Vancouver opportunities. So in in thinking about East Van, I mean, obviously Strathcona, we've talked about as as being such a unique community and, you know, something new is being built in kind of the, the heart of that community. Mount Pleasant is another area that you guys have developed and we've kind of mentioned. Are there other areas of East Van that you're that you're excited about? I know you said there are certain areas that, you know, have an idea of where you're talking about, where it's not really your stomping grounds, but but which are the neighborhoods you really like? I think we were talking about this neighborhood right before we got on the podcast here, but but Cedar Cottage is is just a, a great neighborhood. There's tons of history there. There's a great community. There's amazing amenities like Clark Park, which we have an 82-unit purpose-built rental building that we're going to be building right on the park. Trout Lake is right there, which we have another project that's going to be coming on board in that in that neighborhood as well. You have Commercial Street, which is such uh, just a really cool little little street that's that's its own little enclave, which is which is just awesome. Commercial Drive is my favorite street in the city, hands down. I absolutely love Commercial. It's just so hard to find anything on Commercial Drive. Yeah, yeah, but um, very few properties trade there, and then very few properties trade that have enough scale to do the types of projects that that we do. So Commercial Drive, we absolutely love. East Village along East Hastings. I think I heard John Stavell on on your podcast earlier, and he was kind of talking east east of Clark, which I which I totally agree with. I think that there's going to be a, a lot of new development along East Hastings. You get some great views there. There's a bunch of breweries there. We own a building right at the corner of uh, Powell and Victoria called the Hamilton Bank Building, which is just a it's a 115 year old building. It has some really cool restaurants in it, some micro suites, and we call that neighborhood Port Town. And I think that that neighborhood has a ton of legs. It's close to Wall Street in that neighborhood, which right. I used to live on and, and just just love that neighborhood. So there, there's a bunch of great neighborhoods. I mean, I could go on Kingsway. Kingsway is such a long street. So there's like Norquay Village and Fraser. Fraser is another great street. Like There's just so many cool neighborhoods right. 
And as more businesses kind of move eastward for more affordability and because it's more affordable, you're getting these younger people that are starting new businesses and they, they're so creative and they're cool and they're just, they're just so inspiring. So I just think that, you know, every day uh, parts of East Van kind of neighborhoods grow a little bit and there's just so much opportunity. So right. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that answers your question. I think my pen just died trying to write all those down as fast <laughs> as I could. <laughs> no, I was thinking. You know, I often say like I live near Commercial Drive, and I uh, I take my dogs for a walk every morning and every night, and I always walk down Commercial. It's like the most interesting strip to you know. Other people, I think, walk on the quiet streets. I'm right down Commercial because it's like I, I agree. I think it's my favorite street in the city too. Or is that just like the self esteem issue where you want to be seen and oh, you're yeah. still trying to go through that from high school? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never really thought of it that way, but maybe. <laughs> There's just so many cool businesses on Commercial Drive. I uh, I do some yoga from time to time at that Bikram Yoga, and it's just such a cool spot. And there's there's so many little businesses that have been there forever, and and it's it, there's just a lot of character to that street. Right. This could be a this could be like a double episode here. Where we could go directly into you know yoga after this. <laughs> Jordan McDonald from Bic. I remember I did I remember I did yoga one time in my life, and I have so much respect for the people. It was at Bikram's yoga. It was hot yoga, and obviously I'm the, the the you know the the guy who walks in looks like a pear, and I get the pretzel eight year old kid next to me. I'm on the ground, probably dry heaving, and this guy is in a figure eight next to me, and I just I have so much respect for I how actually, hard yoga is. Oh, it's yeah, incredibly I, hard. I uh, I was maybe a little bit smarter than you in this in one regard, uh, and it comes to yoga. There's a class called Yoga for Stiff Guys uh, <laughs> in Mount Pleasant that I. I only did it two, three times, and I actually felt like that in the class that was called Yoga for Stiff Guys. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hoping I took the advanced class because I felt like an idiot. <laughs> um, maybe, uh, you know, thinking about, Jordan, a lot of people listening to the commercial real estate podcast, I think, are interested, obviously, in commercial real estate, but are, you know, potentially looking to to invest in in commercial real estate or, or real estate more generally. What What is... Maybe uh, your biggest mistake that you can think of, or or some uh, a cautionary tale for those people that are looking to, uh, you know, to to get into the game or or are in the game but looking to expand their portfolio. Yeah, my, I have so many big mistakes. I would say the one mistake that was probably the biggest was any property I've sold. So I, you know. Just, just acquire the portfolio. Just, you know, start small. The first project that I ever developed was I, I bought this industrial building and I subdivided it into, into 40, 581 square foot industrial bays. And we we're selling them for 99000 each. And you could probably, the address is 19736 98th Avenue. You can probably still buy units in there for, for under 200000 So you can, pretty much anyone can start somewhere yeah. with it, right? But over time, the value is going to go up. The cash flow is going to improve and you're better off just to refinance and keep going. And if I did that from, you know, the age of 23, when I started in commercial real estate, I mean, my portfolio would be, would be massive. And so I kind of, I always look back and go like, you know, that that's the one thing it's like, it, it doesn't matter if you kind of made a bad deal today, if it's income producing, cause it's going to sort itself out in five years and just hold on to it, refinance it. Keep going. The tides will keep rising. Never sell. 
So now that not only did I figure out today that I'm not in the top 20 in the industry because I don't get Jordan <laughs> McDonald's phone call, he's now told everyone not to sell. So my income just got cut in half. <laughs> that, that's, that's great, though. Uh, there's a guy in my office I've watched. He's like anxious all the time to move through his investments. And uh, I've watched him sell four or five properties over the last seven, eight years that I think every single one he's like, and it's, all, I mean, in Vancouver, this is an obvious point, but yeah, it's like itchy feet, right? Like just forget about it, set it, forget it, time in the market. That's, that's, that's great advice. If, if you're buying cash flow commercial real estate and it cash flows, it's funny in our industry, you get so close to things, you'd be like, oh, that guy overpaid. Oh, he paid way too much. Yeah. <laughs> and then five years, like, oh, that was a really good buy. Yeah. And so it's it's funny how that works. So as long as you're make as long as you're doing your homework and and the real estate's cash flowing, you know, it's just just keep doing it. Keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep buying, keep refinancing and growing the portfolio. To Jordan's point, we we had a building, me and some me and some partners, we bought it and we renovated the thing in Maple Ridge and we paid X for it and sold it for Y and we were high-fiving each other. And yeah. we thought, this is great. And then the uh, the landlord actually engaged William Wright Commercial to do the leasing of the property for him when the, the anchor tenant left. So we successfully leased it to two, you know, I guess you'd say maybe AAA type tenants in there. And I'm sitting there and I'm running the numbers now and I'm thinking like, oh, it's about two and a half more than we sold it for probably 24 months ago. Ugh. Yeah, that, that one's going to sting. Thanks, Jordan, again. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of buying and holding property for a long point in time, I know you guys got lots of projects going on. What projects do you guys have right now or upcoming projects do you guys have that maybe you have commercial real estate opportunities or investment opportunities for people to buy into? Yeah, for sure. So I think we'd mentioned a little earlier our assembly and habitat projects. Um, the the residential is, is sold out, but the ground floor commercial, we're also selling as well. So at both assembly and habitat, we do have a few opportunities left and we have space that can be utilized for light industrial Retail, office, restaurant, cafe. So we have uh, we have a few spaces left in in both of those projects that um, with prices starting under a million bucks. Wow! So those are some really unique opportunities. We have some laneway units that have potential for restaurants, and yeah. So I think that those are two projects that some of your listeners could take a look at. And where can they find out more about those projects? Is there a website for the development that we can send them to? Yes, definitely. There is a, a website for both. So. Assembly is uh, assemblystrathcona.com and Habitat is lifeathabitat.com. And I, I, can, I can speak to the point, not only great investment opportunities for people, but also end users for people, maybe potentially that have a business that want to get in. We have an upcoming episode where we're going to talk all about owner-occupier financing. And I think a lot of business owners don't realize how, I don't want to say the word easy, but how accessible it is as a successful business owner to actually acquire your own real estate. I think something where you guys are developing there, you know, having great owner occupiers in there would probably be, you know, fantastic for not only the development, but the communities, but also creating a great investment opportunity for that business owner. Of course it does. I mean, there's certainly you create value in your business as you as you grow it over time. But, you know, kind of looking back to my commercial broker days, I know the the people that I dealt with on the user end of the business, the people that had a bigger smile on their faces uh, were the guys that had bought their their real estate that they occupied longer term, and they could either yep. sell it off and have a big big win um, at the end of their career, or they could basically shut down their operation or sell their business and then uh, and then lease it out to 
to another business or whoever bought their business longer term and and just have have a long term cash flow there. So it's certainly the right thing to do if you're if you're a user is to to own your own space. Well, one thing we see a lot of time on the brokerage side is when we're selling buildings for people. And a lot of times, you know, especially in the industrial asset class, where some of these guys acquired their five or ten thousand square foot industrial building, you know, twenty five years ago, and they're selling it for four, five, six, seven million dollars now. The first thing they say is, "I barely made a dollar running a business, and my whole retirement was selling this building." You know, so one of the smartest investment decisions a business owner can make. A hundred percent. I've heard that a million times from guys, and they just said, "You know what." I did well in my business over time, and we we kept the lights on and a roof over our head. But um, essentially, all of their money was made in the real estate that they they bought and occupied. And we'll also make sure we put a link to both those projects onto the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast website, so people can link directly through there to find out more about your commercial spaces. Yeah, that's great. Appreciate it. So, what, what's next for Fabric Living? You guys have had an enormous amount of success in a short period of time. You've obviously clearly hit the nail on the head when it comes to developing in the areas that you are. What's next? Where are you guys in two years? What markets do you want to go in? What potentially can you tell us in the pipeline? Maybe some stuff that's upcoming. What's next? Yeah, definitely. For the next couple of years, I mean, we just plan to be doing essentially more of the same. Try to take on another two to three projects a year and just really focusing on East Vancouver and really having our name Fabric just becoming really synonymous with East Vancouver. And I think that success for Fabric would be Fabric becoming a household name in East Vancouver. Yeah. So for people that aren't in the real estate industry to kind of know who we are. And when they're driving by one of our signs in East Vancouver, they look at our sign, they go, this must be a really cool up and coming neighborhood. That's awesome. That's awesome. We have, uh, we have our MLG six pack where we ask you six lighthearted questions about yourself, maybe outside the office. Do you have just a few more minutes for us? Sure. So the MLG six pack is brought to you by McKinnis Law Group for all your commercial legal needs from commercial leases to commercial closings. Reach out to them at McKinnis Law Group or mlglaw.ca. All right, George, this is the highlight of, of every episode here we do. So favorite movie. Oh, favorite movie. Um, I love documentaries. There's so many documentaries that I love. Um, if I'm going to choose a movie, it's definitely a documentary, but I will go with a movie that's not a documentary because I've probably watched it 10 times. I just love the adventure of this, this movie. It's, uh, it's Blow with Johnny Depp. Oh, good movie. Good show. Favorite vacation spot when you find the time? I'll go with Tulum. Um, Good one. My family, uh, or my mother built a house down there about 10 years ago before Tulum was, was anything like it is today. And we've just had so many good family vacations and, and memories down there. So uh, Tulum spot. it is. Favorite quote or maybe an inspirational quote that you use? I would say have the courage to live a life that's true to yourself and not what others expect of you. Well, that's good. See, Matt, you're the first guest we've had on in the flesh since we started this because of COVID. And, and I mean, Matt and Adam usually mid-show get up and just ghost me to go do multiple offer situations. So, <laughs> you know, Matt's not here right now. So the quote that he probably would have thrown out would have been like, eat, pray, love or something. So it's, <laughs> so favorite band. Oh, favorite band. This tells, this tells all the listeners who you are. For example, Matt and Adam, 98 degrees. <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny because I, 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 I'm not into like any specific band really. I'm more into just, Good songs. Okay. Um, Favorite song then? Favorite song? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a big hip-hop guy, right? <laughs> no, no joke. No joke. If you go back and you listen to some of our episodes, 
we've had Mob Deep. Yeah. We've had like, like 90s gangster rap. And it's, it's becoming a common thread through successful people in real estate that they listen to 90s gangster rap. Oh, man. Um, I, I would say uh, a song that I've, I really appreciate lately is, uh, is a song called uh, Project Dreams by Roddy Rich. Project? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to write that one down because that's on my, my playlist. I'm going to try to sandwich that between classic Tim McGraw and the new Britney Spears. Yeah. So I'm going to try to get that, one, get that one in there. Maybe a book you'd recommend to our listeners. Business-related, maybe not business-related, real estate-related, maybe not, but a book that you recommend. I love books. Hmm. I would say I'll recommend a couple. Um, sure. Yeah. Ex- Extreme Ownership yep. is a really good book. And it's, it's about just taking, taking ownership over everything that you do. So I'd say extreme ownership is one um, that's kind of like a, call it a self-optimization type of book. Yeah. Good real estate book that not a lot of people know about okay. is Zeckendorf. Never heard of that one. Yeah, it's really good. It's, it's kind of a rare book. You can find it, you can find it on Amazon. It's, it's about 60 bucks though, just because there isn't a ton of them around. I found out about it through reading Sam Zell's book, okay. uh, Am I Being Too Subtle? He referenced it. And so I found it, and this guy was just an absolute tycoon in New York. But wow. he built a lot of stuff in Canada, too, including Brentwood Mall. So, um, wow. yeah, it's a good book. He was okay. a huge real estate tycoon. You know, unfortunately, he ended up going broke in the end, but it's just a, it's a great book. That one I don't have to download if I can find it. Last question. A piece of advice you'd give our listeners, maybe who are thinking of entering commercial real estate in any facet or something that you've learned over the years that you can share with us. Yeah, I think I, I listened to your last podcast with uh, with Drew on it, and, yeah. and he said find find a mentor in yeah. in great piece of advice in in whatever it is that you want to do, whatever facet of commercial real estate. And often that's really tough to do, but but that mentor should be the best in that business. And and it's you know don't settle, find the absolute best guy. If it's investment, find the best investment guy in the city. If it's an industrial or Whatever it is, find the absolute best guy. The other one is just back to my comment earlier. It's, it's, it's just start buying real estate day one, even if it's a property for like $199,000. Buy your first one and then just keep going because over time you will be happy because you will be financially free. Great. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. I know we're, we're so pleased to have you here. How can people find out more about Jordan McDonald and what Fabric Living is doing? Yeah, certainly. So we have a, a website, so fabricliving.ca. We also have an Instagram handle, which is at life at fabric. I think the the Instagram handle is actually a good way to really stay up to up to speed on it because we're typically posting once or twice a week, and and you can you can see where we're at with our our developments, or you know where we're at with our construction, and you know when we're taking on a a new acquisition or hiring somebody new. So you can really stay right up to speed real time and on our Instagram handle. Awesome. Well, Jordan, once again, I know you're busy. You took the time to come see us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Corey. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. Take care, guys. And there you have it, folks. Our interview with Fabric Living CEO, Jordan McDonald. Again, the common thread in real estate is if you want to be successful, you have to incorporate rap music into your catalog. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say passion is key. <laughs> well, that 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 that's probably taking a close second place to '90s and current gangster rap. You know what? And I feel like the the energy. I it doesn't surprise me. Uh, Jordan's music choice doesn't surprise see, me. People people didn't see him. Yeah, he shows up. Well, we should say this. You've got a white T-shirt on. 
walking around, looking like, walking around looking like Gumby. <laughs> Jordan shows up, looks like Macho Man Randy Savage. It's it's incredible. I, how many days? So he's he's exercised it's like, like two thousand plus two thousand plus days in a row. He's he's. I mean, I, I guess you know. There's a lot of things that go into a to to the makings of a very successful person. I think yeah. passion is one of them. I think Jordan has demonstrated that. And discipline is another. Um, yeah, for sure. And not to mention he's he's one of the brightest guys uh, did I you, think did we you know. Did you see his but, forearms? When he was describing some of the exterior material, I'm thinking if my head's six inches closer to him, my head's not there anymore. <laughs> He's an impressive guy. Let's very just put impressive it, all fa- fairly very impressive. impressive. But that was a great, great conversation. I love that. I love the passion for East Van. Um, yeah. it, was, yeah. it was that was so good. But um, yeah, what else do we have before we go, Corey? Uh, next week's episode, we got we got a very exciting episode. We have John Switzer from Impact Commercial talking all about owner occupier financing. And one thing a lot of people don't understand is, from a business owner standpoint, there's a huge opportunity to actually take your revenues and sort of almost kind of borrow against them, for lack of better words, but you leverage that to get into your own and become your own landlord. So instead of renting a space. Instead of renting. I think you'll find a lot of times too, when you actually sort of put the metrics together, it doesn't cost a lot more to own it versus renting it in some markets. And you might as well at least pay your own mortgage and be the beneficiary of the equity growth in the property versus just paying that mortgage somewhere, someone else's mortgage because you're paying that rent to somebody. Yeah. No, you might as well put it in your own pocket. That's so, right. With the triple net too, especially with commercial, it, it's great. it seems to it seems to make it's, more it's like sense. a cheater system we operate under. I don't know how you guys do it over the residential <laughs> side there, but we're not doing it it's, right. It's, That's it's for like sure. a cheater system. That sounds great. And how can people reach you, Corey, or find out what you're doing at William Wright? They can visit our website at williamwright.ca. They can always drop me an email at corey at williamwright.ca, or they're always welcome to call our Vancouver office, 604-428-5255. Whether you're looking to buy real estate, commercial real estate, sell commercial real estate, or lease commercial real estate, reach out to us. We'll put you in touch with the best broker in the best marketplace for your asset, and we'll do our best job for you. And if you're looking for a transcription or synopsis of this episode, you want to listen to it again, head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That is where all of the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast episodes live, as well as some spectacular deals like this industrial space in Langford. I think you're, you've got to be, you're pretty close to 50%, I would I would, imagine. I would think probably at least at this point, to be honest with you. I know it's, it's just been gangbusters over there and all that stuff. So I, I don't have the numbers where we're at, but I'm going to throw out a number of at least 50 in under six weeks, seven weeks. So it's still huge momentum. Owner occupiers. Yeah. That's, this is the exact reason why we're going to have John on to talk about how people in that asset class can own their own real estate. And this is a prime example for that investment opportunity. Fantastic. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com or WilliamWright.ca. Have a great week, guys, and we'll be back next week. See you next week. Subscribe today.